starting to feel a little bit hungry. Anyone here? Ooh, a nice patty. Ooh. Okay. This morning we're, uh, we're continuing our series uh, through the book of Joel. Um, you remember last week we looked at chapter 1 and, and Joel was speaking into the situation where, where there was a terrible, terrible plague of locusts. In fact, uh, if we looked, we saw that, that it wasn't just one plague of locusts, it was four plagues, one after another, that, that came through the land and, and absolutely decimated it. And Joel, uh, the prophet of God, into that situation, God spoke through Joel and said to the people, your only hope in this horrible circumstance is to cry out to God. And we saw last week the, the message of, of that is so true today even still, that, that when we go through difficult times on times of desolation and darkness, our only hope is to cry out to God. Let's just pray before we go any further. Father, we, we thank you that you are our hope, that we may call to you when life gets difficult and life gets dark. Father, we thank you that you are so much more than just someone we can call to. Father, we thank you that you are the God who is perfectly holy and perfectly loving. Lord, as we look at, at what you have to say to us through Joel this morning, I pray that you would open our hearts, that you would pour into our minds and into our lives and into our very beings your truth. Holy Spirit, speak this morning, we pray. Amen. So last week we've, we've got the situation where, where Joel, uh, the prophet of God, is speaking into a situation that the people are facing. Uh, they're, they're there, rubber hits the road, locusts are, are eating everything. This week is, is slightly different because we're not speaking about the, the actual situation that the people of Judah and Jerusalem were facing in, in Joel's day. Uh, but, but what we do in chapter 2 here, the bit that we're looking at, Joel takes the language of locust plague and destruction and this, this terrible calamity and he reworks that language to, to, to speak about not what they are experiencing but about what they will experience. Uh, he, he uses their, their experience of the locust plagues to, to, to paint for them a, a glimpse and a glimmer of the coming day of the Lord. And he can do that, as, as we'll, we'll see, because Joel understands that, that the coming day of the Lord, although we are still waiting for it, is, is already having ripple effects back into our time, uh, like, like pre-echoes, echoes before the actual event happens. And you might wonder why I've got a burger here. But I want to illustrate with this uh, with this. It's a very boring burger, but let me illustrate for you how Joel has put together the first 11 verses of chapter 2. He's, he's done something which, which we call an inclusio. It's, it's quite a common uh, technique that they use in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's, it's where you've got your main point that you want people to remember. 
uh, and you take your main point and you put it at the beginning and the end of a section and then in between it you put stuff to make people remember the main point. So, so if you like in a, in, a, in a burger, here's my main point. I'll take half of my main point, I'll, I'll stick it down, I'll put in some filling and I'll put the main point on top. Take out the filling, it's a rather boring burger. Take out the bread and it's nothing. It's a piece of burnt meat and floury hands. So, so let's, that, that's an inclusio. Let, let's see uh, what Joel has done here. The, the first two verses, verses 1 and 2, are the first half of, of the bun. God says in verse 1, let there be a trumpet call blown in Zion. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. I think the interesting thing to notice here about what, what is happening in verse 1 is that God himself is speaking. Notice he says, my holy hill. And, and for me, this is absolutely fascinating that God, who as we'll see is the enemy coming, that, that God himself comes to, to his people and he says, get ready. I mean, the trumpet blast that he's talking about is, is the ancient equivalent of the air raid siren. Um, you, you, let it, or you let the blast go so that people would know that, that some enemy or some danger was coming and that they could then prepare and be ready to, to cope. So what God is doing here in verse 1 is saying, I am coming, blow the trumpet, get ready. I'm almost here. Now, I'm fortunate that I've never had to live through a time of war. But can you imagine if we were at war here and this morning we heard an air raid siren go off? I don't know about you, but I'd be finding the, the safest place and I'd be crawled up underneath it. I reckon most of us would be trying to find somewhere safe if the air raid siren went off. Is it scary, the thought that somebody could be dropping a bomb on us? But, but for Joel here, in, in chapter 2, verse 1, this trumpet blast, this air raid siren, is, is so much more scary than, than, than a bomb dropping on the people. Says Joel, uh, well, God, through Joel here, the day of the Lord is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of, of clouds and blackness. And those words is chosen very deliberately because for the people back in Joel's day, it, it would have sparked off memories and, and thoughts and, and, and lessons that they learnt in the synagogue. Because in the Old Testament, those, those words are used to describe what happens when God reveals himself to his people. Uh, Deuteronomy 4.11, Moses speaks to the Israelites and is reminding them of, of the time when God came to them at Mount Sinai and he says, you came near and you stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds, deep darkness. Uh, write it to the Hebrews. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to, to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, sorry, Hebrews chapter 12. He really does capture the emotions of that day. Verse 18, he's, he speaks about how they came to a mountain that, 
that couldn't be touched, that was burning with fire, with dark, they came to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it pegged that it stopped because they couldn't bear what was commanded. And the sight, says the writer to the Hebrews, was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. So when Joel brings out these words, dark and gloom and and blackness and and clouds, the people immediately would have thought back, ah, this is what happens when God comes. And it's a scary thing. It's a scary time. And Joel turns around and he says, you've heard how, how scared your ancestors were when God revealed himself at Sinai. That's nothing. Tremble, people. Tremble because the day of the Lord is closed. That's his main point in the first 11 verses. That's the top half of the banner. Verses 3 to 9 are the, are the patty, the filling. And what Joel does here is really clever because he draws on their experience of the locust plagues and, and he reworks that to, to speak about what, what it means for the day of the Lord to be close. So, so he describes the day of the Lord like a, like a mighty army marching over the mountains. An army that's, that, that's even more devastating than the locusts has been. Uh, verse 3, he says, look, this, this army's coming and in front of them the land looks beautiful and lush and, and it's Eden-like and, and where they've gone, it's a wasteland. It's a useless land. It's destroyed. Absolutely devastated. Verse 4 and 5, he goes on, he says, this, this army is... They look like horses, they sound like horses, like, like cavalry, like, like chariots tearing down the mountainsides. And when the people see them, says Joel, they turn pale. They, they, they are absolutely covered with fear because they know that there's no stopping this enemy. Just like there was no stopping the locusts last week, there is no stopping this enemy, this, this army that is coming over the mountains to get them, says Joel that this army is coming in and, and everywhere they go they destroy and they pillage. I mean the cities aren't safe. The, the walls around you aren't safe. Your, your houses aren't safe. They just break in. And I imagine by about verse 11 the people Joel was speaking to would have been rather shaken as they were in the midst of experiencing devastation at the hands of the locusts and Joel turns around and he says things you haven't seen half of it yet brothers things are going to get worse and so he comes and he brings in his main point again points out that when God comes in judgment, verse 1 he said, people, now you tremble. Verse 11 I think it is, he says, no, verse 10, Joel says, you tremble, but the truth is when God comes, the cosmos trembles. 
the whole universe shakes and is shaken. The sun and the moon and the stars, it's, it's like somebody turned off the light switch and they disappear. So holy is this God that nothing can stand in His, in his coming. I mean, the second half of verse 11 really sums up what Joel is saying. The day of the Lord is great, it is dreadful. Who can endure it? And I think what we've got to say is that for Joel, as he lived through the, the plagues that we heard about last week, he looked at them and he realized that, that there was more to them than just bad luck or, or natural disasters. He looked at what they were going through and he said, no, no, these are a sign a message from God calling us to be ready for His return. A pre-echo, a pre-tremor. A sign that the end is near. Jesus speaks about signs that the end is near. Uh, Mark chapter 13. Jesus says, um, says to us, in chapter 13, verses 6, Jesus says, many will come in my name, claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. These, these are the beginnings of birth pains. These are the, the signs that the end is on its way. For Joel, even the locusts, these are the beginnings of the birth pains. For the day of the Lord is near and it is nearer now than it was in Joel's day. And asks Joel of the people then and of us today, if these things, the beginnings of the birth pains, if they are out to destroy and, and, and fire goes before them and, and destruction follows in their wake, if that is what the day of the Lord is all about, verse 11, who can endure it? I don't like speaking about these passages which are all about judgment. It's not very pleasant. It, it seems harsh. It, it's, it's not the kind of God we like to say that we're serving. We, we love speaking about the love of Jesus and the kindness of Jesus and the goodness of Jesus. And, and that's right and that's good and that's proper and He is all those things. But, but when we turn to the Scriptures, we see that that God is also the God who comes in judgment before whom the nations and the universe trembles. And if we don't mention this, then we've got a, a half a picture of God. But if we stick on this, we've also got half a picture of God. Because we've missed Chapter 2, verse 1. Why did God command the trumpet to be blown? Why did God say, sound the air raid siren, I'm on my way? That, that's not good military tactics to tell your enemy that you are coming to get them. 
if we cannot endure the day of the Lord, why does He tell us to prepare ourselves? To get ready? The answer, verse 12, is is that He warns us because even now there is still a chance for us to be saved. A a chance to turn back to God. a, A chance to return to Him with with all of our hearts. I mean, Joel chapter 2 is just for me this, this most brilliant, shining picture of the grace of God set against the, 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 the darkness of His coming as judge and king. But, but here we have His grace and His goodness. I mean, He is the, the dreadful judge, but, but He is at the same time the loving Father who, is, as Second Peter says, does not wish any to perish, but, but all to to come to repentance. I mean, the same God who thunders, verse 11, in judgment, first warns us, verse 12, verse 1, and and verse 12, then comes and says, turn. I mean, this is God's character, right? Right from the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve rebel, God goes and He turns to them and he, He looks to them and says, where are you? Come to me. And right at the end, in in Revelation, just at the end, we we have the Bride and the Spirit, God Himself, turning and and saying to us, Come. This is God's modus operandi, His grace that that time and again says, Return to Me, come to Me, and, and I will be for you, I will save you. When Joel's question, Who can endure the day of the Lord? The the answer is pretty clear that, that only those who return to God wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly with broken hearts. See that verse 12, return to me with all your hearts. Verse 13, rend your hearts, break your hearts, tear your hearts apart. I mean, Joel's, Joel's saying there, verse 13, don't just, don't just put on a show of saying sorry. Don't just say the words, yeah, God, I'm sorry, are we right? It's got to be real. Knowing God's offer of grace and knowing that He is the judge who is holy and perfect and He cannot stand even the slightest bit of sin. says, Joel, our hearts should be in a thousand pieces as we look to this God and say, I am not worthy to be saved. When we've celebrated communion, we've remembered God's grace, past, present and future. The same grace that we see here, I believe, in Joel 2, verses 1 and then verse 12 onwards. But, but how does that affect us? When we look to the cross, what, what emotions fill our hearts? I'm, I'm hoping that, that there's a modicum of joy in your hearts and celebration and Wow, God has done this and you saved us and, and it's brilliant. His grace is so amazing. But, but can we look to the cross 
without our hearts turning upside down? Can we look there without any emotion? Can we look there and and not realise that there is no way under heaven or earth that we should be standing in his presence? Without his grace we'd be nothing. We'd, We'd be destroyed for certain. We'd never endure. I suspect that those two poses are are the two things that should come most naturally to, to any Christian. Absolute brokenheartedness at, at how we have, well, we've, we've failed to live up to God's standards. And, and absolute joy that he has saved us nonetheless. King David knew about this. Um, psalm 51, he, he wrote the psalm after Nathan had confronted him for his... Um, or his affair with Bathsheba and killing off of her husband. Psalm 51, verse 17, writes David, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. The sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. David looked at himself and he thought, I'm not worthy of this God. But he looked at God and he knew, as Joel puts it, that this God, this God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, the one who relents from sending calamity. And you know, I I pity Joel for what he writes in verse 14. Says verse 14, who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings, drink offerings for the Lord your God. I pity him because as he turned to God and he said, God, save us. Who knows, maybe you will. This side of the cross, we look to God and we say, God, save us. And God says, I will. I have. In John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that all who believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The day of the Lord is a day of darkness. Judgments. And sins being brought to light. And destruction. But more than that, it's the day of grace for those who turn to God, who rend their hearts, who stand honestly open before their God. I love the way a bloke called Buchner puts it. He says, 
on that day the judge will be Christ. In other words, the one who judges us most finally will be the one who loves us most fully. The one who calls us, sounds the alarm. I want to just finish with with Hebrews because I think the writer to the Hebrews was way into the stuff that, that Joel was writing. The writer says here in, in chapter 12, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, storm, to a trumpet blast. Such a voice speaking that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken. You have not come to a sight so terrifying that Moses said, I'm quaking with fear. You have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. At that time, His voice shook the earth, but now He has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for He is a consuming fire. Father God, sometimes we where we have been guilty of of neglecting part of who you are. Lord, it's not not comfortable for us to think of you as as the judge, as as the awesome one, as as the one who is coming to, to shake all things. Lord, so that where you stand, the whole universe trembles and the sun goes dark. Lord, give us reverence for you and, and for you as, as the holy judge. But Lord, we praise you that, that in that, at the very same time, you are gracious and good to us. Slow to anger, abounding in love. Relenting from sending disaster. May we remember you as you truly are. 